and welcome back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I'm your host, CJ. And I'm JJ. And today I'm really excited. We got a really special guest. I've actually known her for a handful of years. Uh, her name is Carrie Ann Long. She, well, I'll let you take it away, Carrie Ann. What do you do? And tell us about yourself. So I've been a licensed marriage and family therapist for, I think, like, 15 years now. So I've been a therapist for a really long time. And then a couple of years ago, I started doing um, dating and relationship coaching in addition to doing therapy. So two separate services, two separate businesses. Um, but I, my focus in therapy has been on relationships and family dynamics and trauma. And so much of that is also applicable to what I do in uh, dating and relationship coaching. So it's been a really nice, um, it's been a really nice combination to be able to do both and to take, to bring what I know from my therapy world into what I do in dating and relationship coaching too. Yeah, see, JJ, you didn't know that I uh, brought Carrie Ann in here. This is all going to be about you, bud. So let's dive in. How can we get JJ a, a date? Yeah. Well, I'm not walking into the traditional setting of an intervention. So I guess we're, I guess I feel comfortable enough. I'll be kind and gentle. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to have you. Uh, we were just talking before we press record. Uh, you and I worked at a company together and that company actually hired you on as a therapist for all of the workers there. And we had like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a lot of time in one hour a week where we would kind of go in and just kind of, you know, do a mental health, uh, health check with you. And I thought that was mm -hmm. so cool of that company, you know, and that was really like my introduction to, to therapy, really. Like I had never sought out a therapist on my own and really took advantage of that opportunity with you, you know? Um, so I probably unloaded a whole bunch of deep, dark secrets that Carrie Ann knows about <laughs> me that she could, she could hang over my head in this one. So. <laughs> um, but no, I'm glad to have you back here. This is going to be a great discussion. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk to you guys. So how did you uh, decide that you wanted to go this route professionally? In terms of therapy or coaching or both? Both, I guess. Why couples therapy? You know, why, why did you want to kind of uh, niche that market there? Yeah. So um, actually, I mostly work with people one-on-one, -on -one, but about relationships um, and probably became interested in that because um, I decided you know, when I was in undergrad that I wanted to be a therapist and the route, the main route for that in California is to, at the time there was really only, well, there were two, but the main one was to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so my training was, a, was largely around relationships and um, the mental health aspects that are related to things that are relational. Um, so it's kind of just like the bread and butter of my training. It's been a huge part of uh, what I've always helped people with in therapy. And I've seen, you know, because of doing that work, I've seen um, how much our relationships have an impact on the overall quality of our life. And so I definitely have become more and more passionate about that subject over time as I've seen that be true for people. Um, and yeah, I've done a lot of work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I did 
early on in my in my career, I did a lot of family therapy and I did a lot of couples therapy. And what got me interested in doing one on one work with people, particularly dating and relationship coaching, is that I've seen kind of the pitfalls that people experience further down the road, especially if they put off addressing the issues in their relationship for a really long time. Um, and I've always been interested kind of in all the areas of things that I've done in therapy in early intervention. So if I can help people at the earliest place possible, get them set up for success, I would love to help people prevent from running into the pitfalls and the major problems that come later on in life in a marriage, you know, helping them avoid divorce if possible. Um, so getting people set up from the start so that they can have really healthy and happy relationships for as long as possible. So how does how does one at the very beginning identify those possible pitfalls? What what do you what do you do to uh, make sure you uh, get ahead of the ball? Yeah, so I talk a lot with people about being really really clear with themselves first about what it is that they're looking for in a relationship and a partner and what they really want and need in a relationship. Because that is one of the things that I think, um, unfortunately, people often overlook, especially earlier in life when they have less relationship experience. They, It's easier, I think, to fall into the trap of finding someone really attractive and being excited about some aspect of them and then letting that kind of run the whole show rather than really being thoughtful and intentional as I know the two of you are by listening to some of the episodes of the podcast so far about what do you actually want in a relationship how do you want it to go how do you want it, how do you want to feel and the other piece is um, really being mindful about compatibility as you're starting to date someone and going deeper into a relationship with them, because that's another thing that people can easily override in the exciting beginning part of a relationship where everything is new and there's chemistry and maybe the sex is really exciting. Um, it's really important to take space along that uh, beginning phase to really check in with yourself about, okay, I'm noticing these little things pop up that I'm like, don't really love and feel a little curious about. And I have the option to either ignore those things and pretend that they don't exist and stay excited about what's fun here, or I can take them seriously, communicate more about them and see if they're going to be an actual issue in this relationship. Or can we communicate through the things that we, where we might not be a hundred percent compatible. Man, I can really uh, relate to that journey there, you know, um, being in my uh, last relationship for nine years it's so easy if you're not having these discussions to put them away or or ignore them for the time being but they always resurface with you know uh with a concentration to them um later down the road and then it's so much harder to analyze that to know the right questions to ask you know and so many couples get stuck in this uh, resentment, you know, because the stuff isn't communicated. Yes. And I know that that was definitely big pitfall in my, my last re marriage and relationship and where we started this, this relationship with my wife now in such a communicative way, you know, um, when I was going through therapy and, uh, was a part of these men's groups and doing these exercises, you know, it was constant from the get go of building that relationship, you know, and really having 
a safe space to be honest and vulnerable and transparent and to ask more questions rather than, oh, you know, we're not going to, I'm just going to ignore that. And because I like this other things, you know, and I was, mm-hmm. we were actually just, I was talking to my wife the other night and uh, we were, we were watching our, our, um, you know, our, our dating shows that we do, our guilty pleasure shows. And, uh, you know, this guy was being very vulnerable on this first date uh, about his past and, and, and struggles, you know, with with uh, infidelity and addiction and stuff like that. And the woman was immediately turned off, you know. And, uh, and I said, man, like, you know, God, that doesn't land nine out of 10 times, right? Like the open vulnerability and honesty, like right from the get go, I, here's all my baggage, you know? Um, But that's, that's the approach that I went with, with my wife now, you know? And I said, why didn't you turn and run when I told you, I, you know, I'm so many years sober and I, you know, had an affair and all of this stuff. And she said, you know, I think that honesty was really like attractive, uh, to me and really like, let me in, you know, you weren't mm-hmm. blaming anybody. You were just taking full responsibility for your part in it. And, you know, her, her name never came up in your mouth as far as where the, the guilt was. You had it all yeah. in your responsibility for it, you know, and that's a hard place to get to, you know, that's a hard mm-hmm. place to get to for a lot of people. But if you mm-hmm. can, I mean, that honesty is one of my uh, core values, you know, and it's in my mantra every day that I say for myself after that experience, you know, because I told so many lies to my partner about myself and who I was and where I was at and what I wanted and what I needed and what my boundaries were, you know, that it, I just swore after that ended and I was trying to regrow that I would never try to tell a lie again. You know, and it's and I say that mantra every day because that's important to me because I've really found such connection in honesty and and the vulnerability and just being transparent with with who I am and and what I'm struggling with and how I'm trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the connection piece is is huge. That when we are able to be honest and transparent with people, that does breed so much more connection versus, you know, feeling like we can't be honest with someone feeling like we have to hide things from them. That's only going to breed more and more disconnection. So I'm really glad to hear that you've taken that on and that it's feeling connecting for you. Well, I I would like to just ask the question of compatibility. Like what is that and how do we, how do we identify that? And of course, if we're talking about, you know, the evolution of getting to know somebody, I imagine compatibility is not something that you, uh, you com- you know, completely understand at the beginning of a relationship with somebody new, but it's something that, you know, you discover at some point, but what are the things that one should probably be aware of in themselves in terms of trying to provide themselves with the, you know, like Colton says, honesty, you know, providing who they are in this dating relationship they're in to, to, uh, you know, I don't want to say fast track the idea of compatibility, but really, you know, make sure it's on the right track. Yeah. I think about um, the, the things that tend to bring up the most conflict for people in relationships and how it's really important to try to be as aligned on those things as possible. In addition to that, 
the things that are just the most important to you that you value the most in a relationship, because those things can vary from person to person. For one person, one thing might be super important for them. And for the other person, that might not that might barely be on their radar. So knowing yourself and knowing the things that are really important to you is really, was really helpful. Um, some of the things that, that couples tend to fight about the most, and some of these things are hard to know from the very beginning of a relationship, but at least you can start to have the conversations and get an idea of, oh, what are people's, what is the other person's perspective on this? What are their values around it? How are they thinking about it right now? That could, of course, change and evolve over the course of a relationship, but you can at least have a starting point. So some of the things that couples tend to fight the most about are um, parenting, <laughs> uh, money, sex, uh, relationships with extended family, uh, how the house is kept if you're cohabitating. Those are the things, I think there's one more, but those are the things that come to the top of my head. And I'm sure probably anybody who's been in a relationship, the two of you and anyone who's listening right now can probably think of a time where they had conflict with a partner about one of those things because it's so common. Um, so if you already have a child, super helpful to start to have conversations about beliefs about parenting, values around parenting, how you'd like to parent. Um, if you don't have children but desire to have children, I think that's also an important conversation. I think as you start to become sexually active with someone, to be really open and transparent about you know, what desire tends to look like for you over the course of a relationship, um, what kind of frequency you like for sex. Of course, that can change over time too, but at least you have a baseline to start with so that you know, like, whoa, there's not like this really intense polarity here that could really cause a problem down the line. I think naturally people start to notice how, um, how each person relates to money, um, how they like to spend money, how they like to save money, whether or not they have debt, how they feel about debt. I think all of those things are good to talk about early on in a relationship so you can get a sense of where each of you are with that and whether or not that's compatible. I think it's helpful to talk about relationships with extended family, how much how much time you expect to spend with them, how much time, how much involvement you expect your partner to, how much you expect your partner to be involved with your extended family, what your relationships are like with extended family, because those are going to, all those things are going to impact you. They're going to impact your partner. Um, I think those are the, I think those are kind of the main ones. So those things are so important. And I think a lot of people shy away from those conversations early on in dating because they're worried about being too intense or it's going to scare the person away or we're going to, we're going to uncover this thing where we find out we're not quite aligned. And my clients probably hate when I tell them this, but I tell them this all the time. Like you want to know that. You want to know that now rather than six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. It's so much better to know early on and figure out if it's something that the two of you can work through together. Because like I was saying before, an incompatibility doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be together. The question is, how do you navigate that together? Are you able to you know, find some middle ground where both of you are getting your needs met? Or is it so much of a polarity that it's it's not going to be a fit. It's not going to be a match. It's so much better to know that earlier on than way into a relationship. So these are first date questions you're saying. We should <laughs> just cut right to it. Just, you know, <laughs> just overwhelm I heard, them. I, with, with, <laughs> I, I heard your episode about uh, about another episode that you guys did about dating. and um, And I think you guys were talking about like 
kind of being of the mindset, I think you said, Colton, that, um, you know, you, you just want to get things on the table as soon as possible and be transparent and be open. And with some things that people tend to shy away from, like whether or not you desire to get married, whether or not you desire to have kids, like I see no problem bringing those things up within the first three dates because that's pretty important to be aligned on if what you're seeking is a relationship. If you're not seeking a relationship, then you can be transparent about that too and just say, hey, I want to meet new people. I want to date around. I'm not really in the place to be in a serious relationship right now. And then maybe you don't need to be having those conversations. But if you're seeking partnership, if you're seeking a long-term relationship, I think it's important. If, if, any, if marriage is important to you, if kids are important to you, talk about those things early on. So yes, you don't have to overwhelm someone on a first date with all of these questions, but I think it's kind of, there's usually opportunities to weave these things into conversations organically. Like there's some creators who are like 10 things you should know by your third date with someone. And I think like bringing, I mean, hopefully people wouldn't actually do this, but I think like bringing a list and being very like, interrogating someone, you don't want to do that. That's not relational. That doesn't build a good thing between two people. Um, but it's, it's helpful to have these things in mind. And just, this is how I've approached dating. Like just as things come up that are related to that topic, Oh, here, maybe here's an opportunity to like dive a little deeper into this subject and have a little bit deeper of a conversation about it versus like, okay, today we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z. We got to cross them off the list. We got to make sure we have all these conversations because again, that's not relational and that's, it's not organic. Well, one of the things that I uh, pulled out of what you were saying there and that really hit me was, you know, compatibility being kind of how we work through these hard moments or when we don't uh, agree. Um, Because I think like a lot of people look at compatibility as like, oh, we like the same music. I like, oh, I like cake. You like chocolate. You know, like, well, we both like sweets and music. How we're destined to be together, you know? (laughs) And I think no compatibility is like, how are we walking through the hardships together? How are we walking through the conversations where we aren't agreeing, you know? And how are we still compatible in those moments and able to compromise and give and, and, and pull, you know, in, in the same. So I really liked that because I think that is like where we should be concentrating as, as couples or, or as, men or women dating is compatibility is really like, how are we going to get through those hard moments together, together, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that. Well, let's, let's say, you know, somebody is just that they come to you and they're fearful of bringing these things to somebody else. How do you, how do you coach them to get to the point where, you know, they, they kind of start to realize like this is if I'm actually seeking out somebody as a true partner, um, I need to make this a priority. How do you how do you coach somebody like that? Who's who's got that fearful you know spirit about them? I, I think I know quite a few people who are, you know, I can't bring that up. You know, they'll think terribly of me. And, and you know, they have that inner voice, the inner critic just kind of destroying the chances. Yes. I mean, it's such a common thing. And a lot of the people who end up coming to me to work with me have an anxious aspect to their attachment style. So whether they're purely anxious attachment or they're kind of a mix of anxious and avoidant and folks who have 
anxiety in their attachment style fear this the most because they want to be connected to someone. They want to stay connected to someone who they're starting to get to know. And they really fear the idea of having to come across something that, you know, creates a rift between them or makes it so that they can't be together anymore. Um, so I've had a lot of experience coaching people through this. And one of the things that I really, uh, help or at least try to help people with is abundance mindset. So keeping in mind that this person in front of you is not the only person that you could ever connect with and that you could ever be in a relationship with and you could ever love that could ever love you. It's I think when we think that this person in front of us is our one chance, our one hope, our only option, our only opportunity, then the stakes feel extremely high and really scary to have these conversations where we can find out something that we don't want to hear. So it's really helpful to remember that there are going to be other people to connect with if this person, if, if we're not going to connect with this person, we also have to think of like, what's the consequence of not having this conversation? If we don't have this conversation and we find that we are really incompatible in, incompatible in this way, do I really want to set myself up for a long-term relationship that feels pretty miserable because we aren't functional in this way? Like, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want that. So I'd rather have the hard conversation than, um, than set myself up for a relationship that's not going to work and not going to feel good. And so one of the other things I do with my clients is I have them just practice the conversation with me. Like if you actually can think about what you want to say, then sometimes that also helps it feel less scary because that's another block that people come up against. Like, I don't even know how to have this conversation. I don't even know how to talk to people about this. So, you know, we find usually pretty easily there's like a sentence or two that you can say that's not really that big of a deal and feels possible to do. And sometimes people will even take it home and practice it with their friends or their siblings or something so that they feel ready to have the conversation when it's time to have the conversation with the actual person. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think those conversations uh, we do a lot in our head and we uh, make up the other person's response and it usually ends in a, in a, in an argument. You know, I mean, at least that's the story that I tell myself when, you know, and when, when I've been, I don't want to bring this up or I don't, how am I going to, how are we going to argue about this or disagree about this? You know, it's, I can some, I can spiral down the whole argument in my head. And then when I finally get it out loud, it's, it was a great conversation. And I just created all of this hypothetical nonsense and anxiety for myself that was just so unnecessary. Um, and I wanted to touch back to you had used a couple of terms there that I kind of want to like clarify for our listeners and myself, really, mm -hmm. you uh, a anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. Did I did I say mm -hmm. those right? Can you can you uh, yes. clarify the difference between those two? Yes. So some features of people who have an anxious attachment style are they really, really value a relationship. They really want to be in a relationship. They really want to be connected with someone. They really fear the disconnection that could happen if they are connected with someone. Um, so they're kind of always on alert and scanning for any sign that things could be going wrong in the relationship. They could be uh, not to say that you have anxious attachment, Colton, because I don't know, but like they could be. Oh, no, you're you're reading my horoscope right now. <laughs> <laughs> they could be anticipating that, you know, having conversations, they anticipate the worst possible scenario, that it's going to go poorly, that the person isn't going to understand them and isn't going to um, 
isn't going to be able to have the conversation well with them. Um, they tend to. And where do you think that comes from for people? Is that a relationship with parents? Often, yes. Um, it, this So attachment theory comes from uh, the work of John Bowlby and, and Mary Ainsworth, and they originally um, developed attachment theory to uh, describe the, t- the ways that infants attach to their caregivers. And then there were some other researchers that started to apply the same kinds of um, attachment styles to adult romantic relationships and saw that there was a lot of similarities between the two. So a lot of times people who had an anxious attachment to a parent or caregiver as a as a young person then brings that anxious attachment style into their adult romantic relationships it can also vary um, while attachment styles tend to be pretty um steady they they can vary somewhat from relationship to relationship so if you're in a relationship with someone who's making you feel really secure who is very clear and transparent with you who's making it very clear that they are interested in you and want to continue to pursue a relationship with you they're reliable they're consistent they're steady then even if you have an anxious attachment style you're probably going to feel more calm or secure so secure is kind of the attachment style in between anxious on one side and avoidant on the other side. Um, so, and then, okay, so that's, that's anxious attachment kind of in a nutshell and avoidant attachment is, uh, the opposite in many ways. So fear of connection, a lot of, um, value in independence and separateness fear that if they get into a relationship and are really connected with someone that they're going to get smothered and they're not going to have any time and space for themselves anymore. So these kinds of people will often shut down when there's conflict, create distance if they're feeling like this person's overwhelming or too much or taking up too much of their time. Um, They can kind of be in and out of relationships. So kind of take a step forward, but then take three steps back. And what's tricky is that often people with an anxious attachment style and people with an avoidant attachment style will pair up. And so they really trigger each other because they both need really different things from a relationship. And the anxious person, as the as the avoidant person starts to pull away, the anxious person wants to come even closer and get more of their attention and make sure that everything's okay and check in with them. And that's overwhelming for the avoidant person who's like, just let me be over here for a while and then I'll come back when I'm ready. So that's a tricky dynamic that was my that was my marriage i was i was the anxious style of attachment and uh Mm -hmm. and what i did not recognize in the moments was that she she literally needed the opportunity to process on her own time and my misunderstanding and misreading what was taking place was you know a story in my head saying you know she she's trying to avoid me and she 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 doesn't like me and we're you know we're going down this terrible path which you know eventually it did go down a path that we didn't you know want to go when we got married but uh, i saw the two of those you know attachment styles looking back as in conflict with each other in those moments of you know peril and uh, unfortunately that was kind of what you know uh, pushed us further apart um, so yeah, the attachment styles, um, I, I just wanted to ask a question about that. Um, so attachment styles, as we talked about here is just mostly romantic relationships, but, uh, from what I understand, your attachment style can look a little bit different from relationship to relationship too. 
It can. Yeah. So as I was saying, like if you're in a, in a relationship with somebody who's really secure, if you're, even if you're an anxious person and even if you're an avoidant person, you might become more secure yourself because it's creating the foundation for you to feel comfortable and at ease in the relationship. A secure person might be willing and able to give an avoidant person a little bit more space and time to process. Like you were mentioning JJ and um, a secure person might be able to give an anxious person some more reassurance and consistency that helps them to feel more calm. Um, but let's say, you know, let's say maybe you've been, you've, you were, you have an anxious attachment style. You've been, you've dated someone who's secure. You've felt pretty secure in that relationship, but then you start dating somebody who's avoidant, who's very in and out, pulls away, you know, comes on really strong at times, but then like disappears for a while. Well, you can imagine that for pretty much anyone that's going to bring up some anxiety unless someone's just like, I don't play these games. If, if I don't like how someone's treating me and I don't like how a relationship feels, then what I choose to do is just exit it, you know, which is what I encourage people to do after there's been communication first to see like, can we work through this together? Is there a way for us to kind of, again, find a compromise between what both of us need here? Um, but yeah, so, you know, from from dating a secure person to dating an avoidant person, how you're feeling and what that stirs up in you can be totally different. There's also attachment styles and friendships. So you might see those things come up too, that people will have different ways of relating to each other, even across friendships from friend to friend, it might be different depending on, you know, what the dynamic brings out in each person. Yeah, yeah my, that, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, JJ. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that that was kind of where my question was coming to was that I would I would describe myself as fairly secure in my attachments with my friends. But my last serious, you know, well, my marriage, I was very much, you know, exhibiting a lot of anxious traits, especially toward the end there. So, yeah, the uh, the, the attachment styles, when I think about my past and my current present situation of being a single father, uh, sometimes I get, sometimes I get into my head, like, will that anxious style of attachment find its way back up to the surface? If I find a partner that could potentially, you know, be somebody that I see, you know, very long-term commitment with, because of course, dare I say the, <laughs> the, the phrase, the stakes are raised in those situations because you're having to cohabitate. You're having to understand each other's values as they relate to how the family dynamic operates and stuff. And that's a, that's a lot more commitment on both ends. And, uh, and when you are trying to navigate those, those things, um, I can imagine that that attachment style does look quite different, or at least has the potential to look different, depending on the person that you are trying to, uh, find a, you know, a more lasting relationship. with. Totally. And, and the good thing too, is that, um, both the partner of a person who has an anxious tendency in their attachment style, um, that person can help the person to be more calm and secure if you're able to communicate things and explain like, here's what helps me to feel calm in a relationship. What helps you feel calm in a relationship? Can we do these things for one another? Like I can give you a really small example that, you know, it's not, doesn't solve everything, but it's, I think a lot of people don't know this and it's really helpful. Like, so for example, a lot of times when um, <clears throat> anxious and avoidant people are, uh, have some sort of conflict, the avoidant person wants to kind of retreat and get some space. And that makes the anxious person even more anxious. So something as simple as 
the person who has an avoidant attachment style being able to say, hey, I am here with you. We're good. I just need a little time and space to think about what's going on between us right now. I want to, you know, I want to come back to you where when I'm ready to talk about this and we can have a good conversation about it. Even just like those few sentences can help someone feel so much more calm because they know, oh, we're, we're, we're okay. We're going to come back. We're going to have this conversation again later versus think about what it could feel like for um, the alternative, which is like this person just silences or like might even feel like they're ghosting. Like, where did they go? I have no idea what's going on for them. Like, that's really scary for me. But if I know, oh, we're good. They just need some time to process like oh, then I can handle that, right? So do these, in these moments or when we are trying to communicate our needs in those moments, are these kind of establishing boundaries in a relationship or are we still kind of like figuring out the compromise, you know? Um, are, is this considered a boundary, you know, of a relationship to, in this discussion? So when I think about boundaries, I think about them from the perspective of um, there are things that that we're deciding um, that we talk about boundaries in kind of like a colloquial way of like, oh, this is this is my boundary. But but like really, when we're talking about like hard boundaries, um, I think about things where you're drawing a line in the sand for yourself and not for the other person. So you're deciding this is a line that I am unwilling to cross or I'm unwilling for that line to be crossed into my territory. And if that line is crossed, I am going to take a certain action. So it's not about controlling what the other person is going to do, but it's just about knowing this is what my line is. And if this line is crossed, this is what I'm going to do about this. So if we were to make what we're talking about here into a boundary, it might look something like, you know, I know that I have a more anxious attachment style and I know that it really freaks me out and makes me feel feel super stressed when someone completely shuts down and doesn't and, and just disappears during conflict. And so something that I need in a relationship is for someone to be able, if they need that space, for them to be able to communicate that to me. And so the way that that might get communicated in a relationship is like just exactly that. Hey, I know that I get really stressed when someone just shuts down. So can I ask this of you? Can you, I'd start with requests first is what I usually teach people. Like you don't have to be so hard and fast about a boundary to begin with. Like start with requests, see if they can meet you in the middle. So it might look like, you know, I am willing to give you the space and time that you need. It helps me so much if you communicate to me that you need that space, why you need that space, that you plan to come back and talk to me about this again later. If you have a timeline for that, even better, so that I have a sense of when this conversation is going to continue. And the boundary would look like if you've made that request, the person continues to not be able to do that, then the kind of boundary you're setting with yourself is if this person, I mean, it would have to be a pretty high stakes thing for you. It would have to be like, I really cannot tolerate this in a relationship. So the boundary would be, you know, I, uh, if this continues in this relationship, then I'm going to choose to leave the relationship. It's not like a threat that you're making to the other person. It's something that you're committing to for yourself. We both are muted <laughs> at the same time. I was waiting for you. You were waiting for me and we both did at the same time and we waited Go for each for other. Me. No, no. I want to hear what you have to say first. 
Well, I think that's one thing that we we talked about previously is that that dangerous place of being in, you know, using using what you understand about yourself to try and force that on somebody else and 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 you know create a sense of control in the relationship and and I, I just I get concerned about people who uh, you know say that they 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 don't tolerate this but then they use that as the attempt to you know either draw somebody closer. Um, and force them to to you know modify their behavior based on their boundaries. And when somebody gets into that trap of essentially manipulation and control, uh, what are some of your recommendations? How do you go about trying to create a healthy uh, resolve to that um, so they can start living a, a a true healthy relationship? So are you are you talking about if someone's in a dynamic with someone who's being manipulative or controlling, how do they handle that? Or someone who's yeah. doing the controlling? Well, yeah, let's say somebody comes to you and says, you know, I stated my boundary and they didn't listen to me, you know, and, and yeah. so I need them to I need them to listen to me if this is going to work out. Yeah. Sorry, but relationships don't work like that. <laughs> so that's, you know, I'm just very transparent with people and tell them like, I, I mean, that is the one of my biggest pr perspectives about relationships. We are not in control of other people. We are only in control of ourselves and we can make all the requests that we want. But ultimately, we have to know what we're OK with and what we're not OK with. And if we're not OK with something in a relationship and we've made a request and it hasn't changed, probably the only thing that we can do that we're in control of is to choose to leave the relationship, right? Because we can't force anyone else to be any particular kind of way. And I think even attempting to do that in a relationship is not helpful. It's never well received. People don't like to be controlled, generally speaking. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of like embracing that hard fact of like, we can't control the other people. You can control yourself. If you don't like what's happening here, then you can choose to leave. You know, and I'm curious too, like when there's kids involved, you know, in this kind of dynamic and how do you maybe coach differently or, you know, what do you recommend as someone that's maybe looking to re-enter this, this dating world with all that stuff, you know, how do you kind of coach them with boundaries and also include, you know, little kiddo in there has got boundaries too. And you've got to establish boundaries for a kid, you know, like, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what does a healthy first date conversation look like, you know, post divorced and, and, and with a kid in the picture. And when you said all that stuff, the first word I thought of was baggage, but yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, and that's sad to me, JJ, because every, we, we look at that, right? You look, I mean, it's just so sad. It's on TV and in movies and we joke about the divorcee and it's broken goods. And, you know, I mean, gosh, if you were divorced in the forties and fifties, good luck finding a second husband, you know, like oh. there's such and a stigma to life experience and it's so sad to me because we just want to cast judgment on people like well you're broken because mm -hmm. someone didn't want to be with you rather than like being curious about like well what did you learn from that you know how how do you want to move forward and be different from that yeah and in addition to that i'll just say you know my personal experience is that i have a kiddo who is you know, uh, neurodiversity. And um, I've dated people who just simply have chosen to not be curious about him and try to understand him and, you know, place him in this, uh, you know, this label of, you know, he's, he's selfish, he's, he's mean, and, 
And it's really, it, it was really like heartbreaking to hear that. And I think that kind of just, you know, that, that gave me the pretty serious, uh, obvious sign that, that this relationship won't succeed because this is not the experience that I have with my kiddo and I'm going to be with my kiddo till, you know, my dying days. So this is a, this is a serious thing, but yes, it does, it does bring about, unfortunately, some challenge with uh, having a kiddo and, and trying to re-enter the, the dating world, especially one with, I mean, I shouldn't say especially one with neurodiversity. It does seem to limit, you know, candidates for dates. Well, you know, also too, before you go into this, Karen, I, I w- wanted to put this point out there that, you know, and if I think a good relationship coach would tell you, I don't, maybe there's mixed opinions on it, you know, but you say like, you got to put your partner first. You know, and a lot of parents, uh, you know, say like, well, my kids are first, you know, and and I I've been coached in a lot of relationship and heard a lot of advice of like, you got to put you and your wife first because that trickles down. You know, if you're leading by example, the kids see that if you're not taking care of that foundational unit, then everything else ain't going to stand up. Right. But how do we navigate this? post-divorce with a kid in there because your priority is not this new stranger that you met that you're trying to come into your life. Your priority is your kid. So, you know, how do we navigate that? It's interesting. I would, uh, I would say that the priority when you're starting to date is probably to the extent that it's possible having a good co-parenting relationship with the, with the partner, with the child's parent, like that's the priority, you know, that's the first thing. And eventually a partner is going to become very important. Maybe the number one important, maybe they're going to be, you know, almost equally as important as the co-parent because the nature of that relationship, the co-parenting relationship is going to have such an impact on the kid too. But I don't think it's, it's hard for me to imagine it even being possible to prioritize a new partner over your child because your child needs so much more from you than a new partner does. I mean, hopefully they're an adult, they're running their own lives. They've got friends, they've got other social supports that are not completely dependent on you to live and survive. So it makes sense to me that you'd have to prioritize your child to begin with. I I dated uh, a single dad before I met my partner who I'm with now. And, um, I don't have kids and didn't desire to have kids, don't desire to have kids. Um, but at the time, actually I was in a little bit of a different place then I was like open to the possibility of kids. And I really clicked with him and liked him and just thought it would be worth the experience of like, what's it like to date someone with kids? Cause I just hadn't before. And I didn't know what that would be like. And to like challenge the stigma a little bit about, you know, Oh, having a kid is baggage. I mean, women who are in their 30s and 40s, most single men have, especially late 30s and 40s and on, most single men have a child. (laughs) So it's maybe not as rare or like baggage of a thing as you might think. Like it's quite a common experience for, for people, for single women, even who don't have kids, to date a man who has a child or children. Um, and like, to your point, Colton, uh, around, um, you know, what did you learn from this relationship? I've also talked to, I have a friend who, um, just talked to me a while ago about, uh, all of her friends were in their late thirties and a lot of them were, um, had been divorced and were actually really enjoying starting to date again and dating other people who were also divorced because there was this rich 
experience that they were both bringing to a new relationship, more clarity about what works for them and doesn't work for them in a relationship, more clarity about what they actually want, more skills around communication because they had practice with that in their marriage. And so I think we can think of both of these things as like, oh, it's you know, bad to be divorced and be trying to date. It's bad to have a kid and or children and be trying to date. But I think it's actually, you know, a lot more common than we might get it credit for. And there's, there are like wonderful things that go with that too. I'll share another little anecdote, which is um, someone that I know uh, is dating someone who has a child for the first time and had been really impressed by uh, the the man's relational skills. And she attributed that both to the fact that he'd been in a long marriage and that he has such a good relationship with his children. So maybe it could even be a plus for some women. And, and that's, you know, if I were coaching you, JJ, that's really what I would focus on is like, what do you, what do you need in a partner for this to be sustainable and successful, successful for you? It sounds like you'd really need them to be curious about and want to understand your kid and to have a positive relationship with your kid. I mean, hopefully all parents would want that in a partner. And I have to believe that that's possible to find. You know, I mean, my experience, uh, I have a lot to kind of unpack, uh, talk about baggage here, but <laughs> um, my experience has been quite, quite a, a roller coaster um, since getting divorced and going in the dating world. I, I uh, since moving to where I am now, I had a couple of opportunities to date people. And when they, when I told them that I, I actually coach other men um, who are in co-parenting situations, they became curious about what that means in terms of my experience personally as a co-parent. And when I shared with them, I said, I have a, I have a very good re co-parenting relationship. It's, it's incredibly successful. And our kid is benefiting from that. Um, I've actually been uh, at that point, been denied the opportunity for future dates with these people. Mm -hmm. So, so far it hasn't, hasn't um, gone well, despite my clear and honest efforts to try and make sure the relationships that I am going to be, you know, in for the foreseeable future are in the best position they can be. And um, so I, I still stand by, you know, that I am very proud of this co-parenting relationship that I have because I am creating something healthy for everybody that has, you know, is directly affected by that, including myself. Mm -hmm. And one of the points you mentioned, you know, is, is that, is that interrelational uh, dynamic that you have, um, by being a good parent. Um, there's so many books where I've read about being, you know, being a good parent and being curious to, with your kids. You could, you could call it just the book of relationship because it's really applying to any type of relationship that you're in showing curiosity, showing patience, you know, really trying to learn and understand what it is about somebody else that, that makes them respond to things the way they respond to. Um, and, uh, so it, it has been a weird situation for me personally in my dating life. And I don't think that this is an, you know, something that I'm saying where I, you know, I'm, I'm, I should just only date people who have kids, but it is funny how, when those things have played out the way they have, I start to get that narrative in my head, like, ah, you know, not successful there, not successful there. As soon as they find out I have a, a, a you know, good co-parenting relationship, they actually say, I don't. I don't think I fit into that because you have a family with somebody else. Mm. Um, I start to tell myself, well, maybe dating somebody with a kid is where I really need to put my focus because this other stuff hasn't, hasn't worked out. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your perspective on perspective. I mean, you mentioned a little bit there, but I, I'd be curious to hear you say more about what your perspective is on 
uh, like what, what's getting in the way for people or what, what are they afraid of that makes it feel like being with you wouldn't be a match? Well, I mean, the one interaction that I had, I, I indicated, you know, that they wanted to act to know more about what it means that I, you know, I have involvement with trying to coach guys in co-parenting situations. And I said, you know, based on my example, here are the things that I learn. You know, I have parent meeting once a month with kiddo's mom and, uh, you know, just kind of explain the details of that. And that was basically the point where the person says, ah, we're not going to be a good fit. I realized that you have so much, you know, attention going that direction that I just wouldn't get the attention that I deserve or need, mm -hmm. which is fair for somebody to state, but it doesn't mean it doesn't still sting. Of course. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I've before I met my wife, too, you know, like I said, uh, nine out of 10 of those 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 Tinder matches uh, did not go well with all the baggage being flown out there, you know, and I was told several times, like, I, I'm not going to debate. I'm not going to date someone who's divorced, you know, and it's always like, oh, geez, you know, had a good connection and great talk. And then you just hit a roadblock right there, you know, and it sounds, you know, like insecurity and jealousy mm -hmm. to me, JJ, you know, of Correct. that person, yes. you know, more thinking about there's an ex in the picture more than there's a beautiful co-parenting example that you're trying to, to teach this young human. You know, so mm -hmm. I, I would say kudos and good riddance, brother, you know, the, to those <laughs> things, but it doesn't make it easier. It really doesn't, you know, and especially when, when you uh, come out of a, uh, your old marriage with some PTSD and you're like trying to figure out who you are without this, you know, other partner around and who you're going to move forward to be. And it's a lot to navigate, you know, like, mm -hmm. so how do we prioritize like, you know, our relationship from an old family and then a relationship that we're trying to blossom and grow. What, what do those yeah. conversations look like, you know, or how and do we navigate that? There's one, there's one thing I'll add to that too, is that usually that interim phase that I think a lot of people go through, especially, you know, the guys that I've talked with fairly recently is they're finding themselves again, essentially, or they're finding the new normal, which might be single parent. And they're putting in the effort and the time and dedication to making this new position that they're in work as best as it can. And then they find themselves pretty content with that. And then they think about, okay, I had a failed relationship. I'm succeeding now kind of on my own. That sounds like too much work. I don't know if I, I don't know if it makes sense enough for me. I only have so many years left with my kids and I have only so many years left in my own life. Um, man, that sounds like that might just be too much work. So they, they try and talk themselves out of it without, you know, purposefully trying to talk themselves out of trying to re-enter the dating world. I can imagine there, there would need to be kind of a transition period there because that, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me that there's this period of time of kind of coming into a different form of your identity and finding a new rhythm to your life. And then trying to add someone else into the mix is going to complicate that and going to change that up somehow. And so I picture, you know, hopefully people can find a balance of maybe they do need some time to be in that place of like, I'm actually happy where I am right now and this is going well and I don't want to complicate things further. I 
I kind of strangely, even though I'm a dating and relationship coach, I don't believe that people have to be in a relationship in order to be happy and well. Like you, you can, and I think relationships can certainly add to your life, but it's not the only form of social support that's, that exists. And there's lots of other ways that we can get similar benefits that we get from a partner, from, you know, our friends, from our close family members, um, maybe even from a co-parent in a healthy way, way that has, you know, appropriate boundaries. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes we stigmatize people for wanting to be single and being okay with that. And I think it's, it's totally okay. And there was another question in here that I wanted to, um, I guess you were asking Colton about, um, how do you, how do you prioritize all, uh, well, before I go to that, my brain's going, do, 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 going to five, so many places. Um, oh, well, you're on the perfect <laughs> podcast. It's the right? <laughs> I felt I would be welcome here. Um, <laughs> uh, the other thing that I was thinking is that I think if you're in that state of I'm really happy with how my life is here, the kind of along the lines of what I was saying to you before too, JJ, it's like, if I find someone and I want to date someone, they have to be able to integrate into this really well. They have to, they have to want to be a part of this life that I've created here. And it's totally okay if they don't, right? That like, that means that that person's just not the right match for me, but the right match for me is going to be like, wow, look at this amazing life that you have. Look at your amazing kid that you have. Look at this amazing co-parenting relationship that you have where there's not a lot of animosity and contention, which there isn't a lot of, you know, divorces and co-parenting relationships. Like this sounds like the jackpot, like sign me up. This is great. You know, that's what you'd be looking for in someone. And maybe that's hard or challenging to find. Maybe that's not the majority of people that you meet, but I think that that's true for a lot of people in dating, no matter what their circumstance is, that they meet a lot of people who just aren't the right match and aren't aligned in certain ways. And that that's actually quite normal to experience, but it's really about having clarity around what do I actually want and need in a relationship? And can I continue to meet people and, and experience new people until I find someone who actually is that? You know, I think a lot of that stagnation to JJ, that, that, that hesitation that comes from like re-entering uh, back into that world, you know, again, like you said, you, you spent so much of your life with this other person, learning these habits, building this, this way of existing and coexisting and living. And now you're like by yourself, you have to get used to this new routine. You know, it's all about like recovery and making it and, you know, taking care of kiddo and going here and drop off and pick up and, you know, all the scheduling around that. And that becomes now the routine, right? And we get so comfortable, especially after a trauma, you know, things are settling down. I've got this handled. I'm starting to get some confidence about me. I can do this. Like, God, you know, I don't want to go back to that where I have to let go of all of this to incorporate somebody else into my life, you know? And I totally agree too that it's, you know, not everybody has to be in a relationship. And I think like, you know, a lot of people don't, you know? Um, and that's great too, I, you know? But I think there's a lot of beauty in um, not only in coexisting with somebody or living in a relationship where you're compromising, but there's just so much opportunity for growth in yourself because you're just learning and experiencing different perspectives with this other person. And, you know, I, I want to encourage men that are thinking about that, but are maybe hesitant because they're in a phase of not knowing or not wanting to experience that past is, you know, I think like 
my success in my own personal journey has been getting really comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, the more that I get comfortable, the more that things like fall off of my to do and, you know, clutter gets all around and all of a sudden I feel overwhelmed, you know, but I, what was man ADHD? It just, I, in the mid sentence, I just like thought of, I was hungry and now I just lost the thought I was, I was trying to make here. Oh, just that, you know, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty in being uncomfortable and growing and putting yourself in vulnerable situations because the return on that is so much more powerful than stagnation or isolation or solely independence, you know? Um, so I just, even if you're not going to get back into a full committed relationship, I think it's just so important to just like go out there and learn from other people and learn how to communicate so that you can understand yourself better. And I, 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 yeah, I hear this uh, phrase a lot of the time now, uh, growth mindset. And that always has me curious about the individual because growth mindset can exist in so many different ways. You know, uh, I had this, this hunger to really become the best father I could possibly be. Um, especially when, when my new, my marriage was coming to a, an end, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to make a story of failure be, you know, the, the thing that I carry forward. Um, so I put in a lot of effort for, you know, my growth toward, you know, really serving my kiddo's mom and, and, you know, serving my kiddo and myself in that as well. And I guess my thought is, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about growth mindset. Um, if you're in that state of hunger to, to continue to grow, perhaps, you know, do, you know, if you are thinking that maybe a relationship is something you want to explore again someday is, is try to apply yourself in a growth mindset in that area again, too. What does that look like now that you've found a, a path to success with your relationships you are in now, if there is this hunger in you to really want to find a partner, um, you know, explore that, go and talk about the things that you've learned about yourself. And again, you know, like we said earlier, you don't have to throw everything out on the table, but it is a pretty powerful and dare I suggest attractive thing when somebody can say, you know, I, I kind of made some mistakes here. Here's what I've learned and here's what I do today. And uh, here's, a, here's the hypothetical. If I were to come into this situation now knowing what I know, this is maybe how I would approach that. That shows a lot of growth opportunity for somebody who might be attracted to you. For sure. I mean, it that's that's super attractive to see that someone had a relationship experience that they could learn something from and be able to apply it in a future relationship. And I feel like so much of what we're talking about here, like what Colton was talking about with getting uncomfortable, getting comfortable with being unco uncomfortable. So much of this is like, I mean, this is what I talk about with people all the time is like, can we tolerate vulnerability? Can we handle it? Can we allow ourselves to be in a vulnerable situation? And can, and because, because if we can, what's on the other side of that, like Colton was mentioning with getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is, is connection and, and love and a beautiful, the beautiful possibility of a relationship. Um, and so while vulnerability can feel scary, and I think a lot of times, that that fear is mostly unconscious. We're not even like, I am scared to be vulnerable. We're not really thinking about it that literally. But um, 
but it drives so much of our decision-making and so much of what we're willing and not willing to do. And I like your perspective on, you know, thinking about growth mindset here of like, yeah, can I choose to take on this challenge? Can I choose to put myself in an uncomfortable slash vulnerable situation because there's something so beautiful to be gained potentially on the other side? Man, this has been good stuff, Carrie. And thank you so much for doing this. I, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this today. I know I did. So that's why I love doing this podcast because I get front row seat to all of this really great information. So you just laid some gold on us. I, I really appreciate your time and and uh, your 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 thoughts here. Um, before we get going, though, is, is there uh, anywhere where our listeners can reach out to you um, if they're interested in your services or have questions for you um, or just want to yes. tell you how awesome your words have impacted their, their new relationship? Where, where can our listeners yes. go? Yes. If you're, if you're wanting to connect with me and learn more about working with me, I both work with people one-on-one -on -one and also have a course that is instant access that you can start at any time. Um, you can go to my website, which is coachingwithcarrieann.com. Carrieann is K-E-R-I-A-N-N, -N, not the easiest to spell. <laughs> um, and then at my Instagram is uh, at coachingwithcarrieann. You can send me a DM there if you just want to like reach out and connect. Totally happy to get DMs from folks and, um, and hear what you thought about the podcast. Awesome. Not to worry, guys. We're going to have all that information in the show notes for you, so make sure to check that out. Thank you for listening, and make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and all that. And, you know, check out Coach Ray at Cloverleaf Fitness, man. JJ and I are getting buff over here, so uh, <laughs> uh, we're about two months into this, man. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. So uh, hope to have you guys back next week. Thank you so much, Carrie Ann. Um, this has been the ADH Dads. I'm your host, CJ. And I'm JJ, and I'm still warming up to leg day. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie Ann. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. Thank you.